Welcome to Realty Talk, the show that brings together the country's most authoritative and respected property experts. Follow us on all the socials and subscribe for updates and exclusive offers. Realty Talk is powered by realty.com.au, connecting buyers, sellers and agents differently. Hi, and welcome to this week's Realty Talk show, Australia's longest running and most popular program for all things property. I'm Bushy Martin from Know How Property Finance and host of the Get Invested podcast. And when it comes to property investment, residential property dominates the conversation and commercial property has copped an absolute battering in the press in recent times with the exodus of people from our city CBDs. But Scott O'Neill from Rethink Investing joins us to reveal why commercial property should be part of any serious investor's portfolio. Now imagine buying a humble home for 250 grand and 12 months later, it's worth 315,000. You've just earned the average annual Aussie wage doing absolutely nothing. And Terry Ryder from Hotspotting joins us to show you how and where you can achieve these sorts of results by buying the right property in the right location at the right time. Now in the post COVID climate, large scale property developers are struggling to finance deals due to the conservative risk appetite of banks and lenders, many of which have actually totally withdrawn from this space. But you'll be pleased to know there are still some good funding alternatives available and Nick Brown from Jamison Capital joins us to discuss them. And to close out the show, my bush, my bush bite this week discusses why property continues to boom despite ongoing COVID gloom and doom. We've got a lot to unpack, so let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the show. Now, when it comes to property investment, residential property tends to dominate the conversation. And commercial property, it's fair to say, has copped an absolute battering in the press in recent times with the exodus from our CBDs. So the big question is, should commercial property be a part of your portfolio? So to discuss this, we're joined by Scott O'Neill of Rethink Investing, a buyer's agency that specialises in finding rare cash flow positive properties right across the country. So welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks for having me, mate. So uh, Scott, it's uh, really interested to dive into this subject because there's a, a lot of uh, myths and misdemeanors around the whole commercial property space. So can you start by giving us a really quick summary in a sentence of what are the biggest myths surrounding commercial property? Yeah, so the biggest ones I come across day to day when I, I speak to clients are you can't get much capital growth out of commercial property. That is definitely one of the biggest myths out there. Like some, some capital uh, growth figures, like I've seen uh, industrial areas in parts of Australia triple in 10 years. Uh, look, it, it really just comes down to the supply and demand, the asset class. Um, but look, there is growth in, in commercial property. It's, it grows from the rental growth, yield compression. Uh, and there's also obviously value adds and stuff like that that come into it as well. But uh, definitely a, a very common uh, myth. The other one is you always get long vacancy rates. Now, that can be true if you buy a poor quality property in the middle of nowhere out in a regional town down a back alley that no one wants to be in. But what if you're in a, you know, a prime corner location of a you know, a well-regarded area. Uh, once that comes vacant, there'll be potentially a line of tenants wanting that same position. 
Um, same goes for, uh, you know, industrial properties in well-located areas where there's, uh, you know, where it's a built-out suburb. There is, you know, you don't always get long vacancy rates. Like we've actually done the numbers on on our clients, like over the years when we've seen vacancies and it's around about three months. Now that might sound long when you compare it to residential, but when the average tenant can stay for five to 10 to 15 years, because remember leases aren't 12 months every time, they can be three, five, 10, sometimes even 15 year leases. If your tenant leaves after that and you, uh, you know, shuts up for that type of vacancy period after that, overall, you're not really dealing with a great deal of vacancy. Um, the other one is commercial properties only for wealthy people. Uh, and look, you can get into it with a 20% deposit. So that's not that different from residential. But yes, the prices can go much higher because you can deal with anything from, you know, a 300 grand warehouse all the way up into a, a billion dollar Westfield center. So there is a great deal of variations uh, out there when it comes to... Um, you know, it comes to the different asset classes. But yeah, look, you can get in with, I'd say 200 grand minimum will get you a good deal in this market. And that would be a 600 grand asset, you know, yeah. plus cost. So 200 grand would, would be enough there. Um, probably the only other uh, one which comes up is there isn't many value add opportunities. Now with commercial property, there's actually more value add opportunities because you can play around with the lease. The lease actually is a, a way of increasing value. So if you increase the length of lease, that increases the security on the asset, which entails uh, you know, a greater security for an investor that they'll pay more for. Raising rent is another value add, increasing floor space because you charge more rent, again, another value add. And all the other stuff you do in residential can be applied to commercial as well. So yeah, long sentence, but they're probably the main myths that I see. <laughs> well, you've, you've covered off on uh, a couple of the areas I was going to delve into in a little bit more detail. And uh, so I might, I might uh, just focus on one of those now, uh, which is to, to give us a little bit more colour around why you say that the, uh, the myth of you can't get capital growth quickly with commercial property uh, is the case, mate. Can you sort of uh, put some more shape around that one for me? Yeah, so look, Quickly, like it all depends on the market you're dealing with. Like right now we're seeing quite rapid capital growth rates for commercial. There's, there's probably two main reasons for that or three. The first is uh, there's a lot more investors jumping into commercial. Uh, so that's increasing the demand. So the, the demand's increasing because a lot of traditionally residential investors are jumping ship and they're, uh, they're doing it because the yields are so low in, in residential. So where do you park your money to make a good cash flow? It's uh, it's hard to find an alternative. The share market's a bit up and down. You know, are you going to get paid your dividends? So cash flow is hard to find in this market. Commercial is the obvious choice. The second one is the interest rates because they're so low. People are using that cheap money at higher volumes to purchase commercial real estate. So to give you an idea of the types of interest rates I'm seeing in this market, I got to say my average client is getting about a two point five. 2.6 type interest rate for commercial. Wow. So if you're going to buy a 6% net yielding asset in a capital city and you're only paying 2.5% on your money, it's a very good margin, even on 100% debt, makes sense. So that is encouraging more people to come over. Um, and the third one is low stock level. So I've seen some articles out there saying stock is about 40% down. Now, I think that's due to owners just not wanting to sell 
the exact same reason why people want to buy. Where do you park your money? So a lot of the people we uh, purchase properties from, uh, they're either developers just pulling money for another job, um, a lot of divorces and all that kind of uh, personal change in circumstances. Um, and yeah, just probably more elderly people just squaring off debt and stuff like that, uh, you know, very late in life. So there, there isn't many people selling in this market because why would you sell a good tenanted investment? There's some of the reasons, but um, yeah. yeah, look, low stock levels are the theme and that's causing very strong capital growth, these three, three reasons. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant, mate. That makes perfect sense. So given that whole context then, why should investors consider commercial property now? And, and if so, what type of property? Uh, so anyone that's got a good portfolio already with residential or they're looking for some better results, because like if you're going to go to sink your money into residential now, it's probably in a record low yield environment. So you're dealing with very poor cash flow. So is it going to solve a retirement problem? No, you're there for only growth. And then how do you get your money out of that property once it grows? Selling, then pay all that tax and capital gains or refinance. And then when you refinance, you're just pulling debt out. So you're not really going to be uh, enjoying a retirement from cash flow, or not efficiently, at least with residential. So that's why I think people are moving towards this asset class. And it's just because it stacks up better. It's as simple as that. And uh, you just got to be wary of the extra risks. Like, you know, I'm talking it up, you know, it's not, I guess you just got to be careful you're buying the right asset class. So I wouldn't go out and buy a huge amount of uh, office space in Melbourne or Sydney right now because there'll be short-term leasing risk. So yeah. there are some asset classes that are weaker than others. So offices in general, weaker. There are some pockets of strength, but um, you know there, there is a general weakness because people are working from home, businesses are reducing you know, footprints in office space and stuff like that. Um, a very strong asset class is industrial. Industrial is really benefiting from COVID due to increased in local manufacturing, logistics movements, storage. It's all important. It's all growing. As the internet grows, so does the need for storage. So it's that whole Amazon model. There is uh, a lot of packed out warehouses on very long leases out there that you'd love to own because you're going to get uninterrupted rent and uh, shutdowns don't really affect them in the majority of cases. Uh, medical, we do a lot of medical purchases at Rethink Investing. So that's your dentists, doctors, like pathologies, any type of specialist. They're generally nice long leases, you know, three, five, 10 year leases sometimes. And again, it's a non-discretionary spend business. So you're gonna go down there, no matter what the economy is doing and still, you know, they're gonna tick along. So if you're in retirement age and you're looking for a retirement income, that's a very nice uh, option because you're not gonna to have to uh, worry about like, so on the other end of the spectrum, imagine you've got a high-end shoe shop in uh, Mossman and then there's a closure and like there's, there's all of a sudden a lot more, uh, there's a lot more risk in, in getting forced closed and losing rent in circumstances yeah, like that. That's terrific, right? It's certainly opening our eyes to where the real uh, opportunity is in that commercial space. And uh, I thank you for coming on to do that. And uh, thanks for your time on the show today, Scott. No problem, mate. Thank you. Well, uh, there you have it. It's quite clear that if you're looking for a great commercial opportunity and you're looking for much better and more steady cash flow, then commercial property is certainly a vehicle you need to be considering. And the best people to help you with that is to reach out to the team at Rethink Investing. Stay with us here on 
Realty Talk. Property deductions can save you thousands of dollars each year. To make sure you maximise deductions, you need to work with the most experienced quantity surveyor in the country. BMT Tax Depreciation is the leading specialist in the industry. They've completed over 700,000 tax deduction schedules for residential investment and commercial properties Australia-wide. BMT guarantee to find double your fee in the first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation-free quote. Welcome. Now, imagine buying a humble house for 185 grand, and a year later, it's worth 240,000. Or spending 250 grand in just 12 months' time, it's valued at 315,000. Now, you've just earned yourself the average Aussie wage doing absolutely nothing. And this is exactly the sort of results that you can achieve if you buy the right property in the right location at the right time. So to discuss how you can do this, I'm joined by industry veteran, Terry Ryder from Hotspotting. Welcome back to the show, Terry. Hi, Bushy. Good to see you. Always good to see you, mate. Now, uh, I'd love to jump into this subject. So what level of uh, property price growth uh, have you been seeing in hotspotting identified areas in recent times. And, and perhaps can you give us a couple of examples? Yeah, well, we're seeing um, extraordinary price growth um, seemingly everywhere in Australia at the moment. But um, as is always the case with real estate markets, some places are doing better than others. And we're seeing some absolute outperformers even in these times where it does appear that everywhere is doing quite good. And the latest figures um, in terms of annual medium price growth for the big cities is um, a number of our markets, both regional and uh, capital city, that have done better than 20%. Uh, in the last 12 months, Sydney, Hobart, uh, Darwin, Canberra, uh, and the regional markets, New South Wales, Queensland, Tasmania, they've all done more than 20%. Uh, and that's pretty exceptional performance, but individual locations have actually done better than that. There's some notable um, overachievers. And probably the two places in all of Australia that stand out the most are the Mornington Peninsula on the southern fringe of Melbourne and the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. Um, and they, they're absolute overachievers at a time where everywhere seems to be achieving pretty good stuff. Well, that's interesting, Jerry, because you're on the Sunshine Coast and I'm here on the Mornington Peninsula. So uh, I don't know whether it's got anything to do with us, but that's a damn good result. Let's claim some of the credit. But I mean... Um, I mean, it's quite common in the morning to potentially find suburbs that have done better than 20% growth in their median house prices in the last 12 months, but there's a couple that have done 45%. Um, uh, McRae and Blair Gowrie have, have both, um, according to the core logic figures, jumped that much in 12 months. Um, 45%. Huh? 45%. That's massive. It is, isn't it? Extraordinary. And... You would almost um, suggest that maybe it's a statistical aberration. If, if we weren't seeing those kind of numbers around the country, um, places that have done certainly better than 30% aren't that unusual at the moment. And on the Sunshine Coast, there are a number of uh, those sorts of places, particularly the top end of the Sunshine Coast market. But what I, I did an analysis uh, just very recently and found that there are 33 suburbs across the Sunshine Coast region that have done at least 12% growth. Um, but the best have done more than 20%. And there's a couple at the top end of the market, uh, Sunrise Beach and Manyama, that have done 30, 35% in the last 12 months. So those are the sort of numbers we're seeing in the best performing 
uh, parts of the country. But you know, we're in we're in a market where um, small country towns and sleepy little coastal villages are having you know. 20% plus growth in the median prices at the moment. Not all, but I'd have to say sensible stuff. Um, I think um, there are some investors out there that are buying a bit recklessly and may regret their choice of location. Yeah, the very good point. And I, I, I sort of heard a recent CoreLogic figure that was quoting, you know, around about 94% of regions around the country have all experienced pretty substantial price rises over the last six yeah. months. So why do you think this is the case, Terry? Look, I think, um, you know, like all um, real estate situations, the, the answer is, is complex. Um, we, we tend to get very simplistic answers from the economists and, and mainstream media telling us it's all about the level of interest rates, which I think is kindergarten analysis. I've got um, 16 dot points on my list of factors that are feeding into this. And um, you can almost summarise them by saying that it's not despite the pandemics, it's because of the pandemic, because many of the, the big forces that are actually creating this momentum, um, which is forcing up prices so strongly, uh, are responses to the pandemic situation, such as government stimulus measures, such as the fact that many expat Australians who are living in um, COVID hotspots overseas are coming back and they're buying real estate. That's a big force on the market at the moment. Uh, the big infrastructure spend that's being unleashed by state and federal governments in response to the economic downturn uh, precipitated uh, by COVID-19, the, the exodus to affordable lifestyle trend um, that's um, driving regional markets, um, which has been underway for a while, but um, it's certainly gathered pace as a, a response to COVID-19. So, um, all of these and many, many other factors are, are feeding into what we're now seeing, which is uh, an extraordinary property market, the like of which I haven't seen before. And I've been doing this for almost 40 years. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not far behind you on the same thing. We saw a similar type of exercise in the early 2000s, but not to this level and not this widespread. So um, so sort of looking in, into the future then, how long do you believe the current property upswings likely to continue and, and why would you say that? I think it's got longevity. I think it's going to continue beyond this year and into next year and maybe beyond next year um, because there are so many um, factors driving this. And some of the, the biggest factors, I believe, haven't fully been felt yet. Like the infrastructure spend, I think, is very influential and it's going to roll out over a number of years. And so it's going to continue having an influence on uh, residential property markets for quite some time. Um, the fact that most of the growth we've had to date, and now I've just given you some numbers which, which illustrate just how strong it's been, has been generated primarily by owner-occupier buyers and investors have been for a number of years sitting on the sidelines. They're only just recently starting to come back in. So that the full force of that hasn't been felt yet. And the fact that foreign investors are now starting to buy again in Australia, they've been missing for a while. They're coming back. We haven't felt the full force of that as well. And then there's a fact that we haven't felt at all yet because international borders are closed, but we'll eventually we'll get to the point when they will reopen and we're going to have an avalanche of overseas migrants wanting to come to Australia. And that's going to unleash another wave of demand for Australian property. So I think um, putting all that together, there's some considerable longevity in this upcycle. I think the pace of price growth will have to level off, um, but prices will continue to grow for the next couple of years, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. Great. Exciting times ahead. Uh, looking at the future uh, specifically then, can you give us an example of a hotspot location that you believe is likely to outperform? You've mentioned the ones that have already outperformed. Are any specific ones just to whet our appetite that you think are going to do well? Yeah, one, one that I really like is uh, uh, the regional city of Toowoomba in Queensland. I think it's an absolute special. You, know, you can still buy typical houses there in the 300,000s. I think it's poised to do what the Sunshine Coast has been doing for the last three years, which is having a major a renaissance in the economy and out of that a big uplift in the property market through a big infrastructure spend. Um, Toowoomba's already got its new airport, which is having a big impact. It's got the second range range crossing completed, but the inland rail link is coming very fast in its direction. It's the pivot point in Queensland for that very, very big infrastructure project. And that's gonna be a game changer for Toowoomba on top of a whole lot of other things. There's a big hospital project planned and a whole lot more. So I think that that's one of the places that I think um, investors could be targeting that you know perhaps up until very recently, they may never have considered. Yeah, absolutely agree. No, uh, very interesting. And I, I really want to thank you for those very considered thoughts, Terry. It's, you always share such great information with us and we appreciate your time on the show today. You're welcome, Bushy, anytime. Now, it's clear that if you want to achieve above average results, then you need above average information. And the best place to get that information is hotspotting.com.au. Information is king. So stay with us for more here on Realty Talk. Property depreciation is the natural wear and tear of a building and its assets. Property investors can claim depreciation as a tax deduction each financial year. Depreciation is a non-cash deduction. This means you don't need to spend any money in order to claim it. On average, BMT tax depreciation find residential investors almost $9,000 in first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300-728-726 today for an obligation-free quote. Welcome back to the show. Now, in the post-COVID climate, large-scale property developers are struggling to finance projects due to the post-pandemic policy restrictions that we're seeing from the major banks and a lot of the lenders. But you'll be pleased to hear there are still some good alternatives available. And to discuss some of them, we're joined by Nick Brown of Jamison Capital. So welcome back to the show, Nick. Good afternoon. Now, Nick, uh, what funding challenges challenges are property developers currently experiencing as you see it? Yeah, look, I mean, as we see it or the, the, what we get as feedback from uh, parties that we work with is, is probably a variety of issues that they're currently facing. Um, the first and, and perhaps most obvious is the inability to extract credit from senior lenders. Um, a lot of the major banks Yes, they, they are undoubtedly the cheapest form of capital in this country. Like their lending rates are always going to be lower than everyone else's. That's fine. That's understood. Except sometimes when you might find an excellent opportunity, you might be looking for an answer and you might be looking for a turnaround in a time frame that is just well beyond what most of the major banks can achieve. Um, that, that tends to be the biggest issue that we hear from uh, parties that are working with major banks is just the uncertainty and the time it takes to, to sort of go through a process. Um, a lot of the non-bank lenders, and there's a you know excellent group of non-bank lenders in this country now that have, you know, are well and truly passed those early stages. They're a very sophisticated group of investors. Um, a lot of those groups are willing to provide capital to development projects. Yes, 
in some instances, um, they are more risk averse than perhaps what they were prior to the crisis, but that is a good alternative. But we are experiencing, we are finding that some borrowers are just not able to access the amount of capital that they would like to be able to. Um, and at the other end of the spectrum, we find that a lot of property developers, they might've had support from investors in their projects previously, that now for a variety of reasons, they're just not able to you know, drum up the same level of support. And that might be because people that have invested with them previously have their own issues with their own business and they're just not in a position to invest in a new property development or a new venture. So um, I guess we sort of you know, bridge or work between both of those areas where we might say to someone, look, you know, this sounds like a fantastic project. We agree that the business plan is sound. The market you want to operate in appears to be a very, very good one. Um, we are happy to invest with you as, you know, a capital provider. Um, you know, we'll leave you with all of the upside. We'll come in as some form of, um, you know, credit investment or some form of debt investment, provide a little bit more leverage to them. Um, and give them the autonomy that they need to, you know, carry out the project that they want to build. I mean, we are not property developers. The parties that we work with are experts in those individual fields. So, frankly, who am I to tell them, um, you know, how they should finish their apartment or, you know, who their target market should be? So our preference is to actually give them that autonomy and provide them with the capital that they need. Yeah, Perfect. So uh, sort of getting into the details then, what, what sort of funding alternatives uh, are you and Jamison Capital able to provide developers? Yeah, I mean, look, where we tend to operate is, um, you know, beyond where a senior lender might traditionally operate. Um, so they might be willing to lend up to a certain threshold, um, but that might fall short of where a property developer's, you know, capacity might be to contribute the balance. So we will tend to fill in that gap or we will provide debt over, in addition to what the bank provides, um, up to a point that means that the property developer has enough money to complete that project. So um, it, it is a debt product often, but sometimes it will share some features of, you know, equity investment or sort of, you know, a, a joint venture partner type relationship. Um, but like I said, leaving a lot of the decision-making to the actual property developer themselves. Yeah, and obviously enabling projects that might be at risk to actually proceed, which is uh, you know one of the issues that's certainly been uh, challenging in the market at the moment. Tell me, uh, what <coughs> advantages does uh, your options give property developers, as you see it? Yeah, I mean, look, we talk to a lot of groups that have perhaps bought a property a year or two ago They've spent a lot of time and a lot of money going through an expensive planning process. As we all know, you know planning in this country takes a long time. Um, they might have even gone to the extent of you know, pre-leasing office space or pre-selling apartments. And they've done all that on the assumption that they will be able to borrow from a bank what they don't have and complete that project. And sometimes they go and have a conversation with that lender and they're just not able to get what they want. So their options are pretty scarce at that point raise additional funds from another investor, but that tends to dilute their holding in the project, which isn't fantastic. Or worst case scenario, potentially sell the property, which destroys all the value that they've created in the planning permit and pre-sales. Or thirdly, um, bring a party like us into the project that can leave them with all of the upside, make sure they don't have to sell the property, but they can hold it and see it completed. So that's sort of the advantage that we bring, um, leaving them with the flexibility to continue on the path that they were on. 
Well, certainly offering uh, a bit of a, a life raft to, to a number of developers who've got caught in that situation where they've started projects with full confidence and policies have changed quite significantly post-COVID. And given the timeline that's attached to some of these major projects, you really are uh, giving them the ability to actually see it through and maintain control. So uh, really thank you for coming on and sharing those thoughts with us today, Nick. Not a problem. And I mean, like that, that sort of is true and sort of potentially more acutely felt in different sectors. Like if you're an aged care or, you know, um, retirement living developer, it, it is very challenging to, to raise money at the moment because that is a sector that is on the front page of the paper often. Um, and other things like self-storage or data centres that are perhaps a little bit less popular or there are fewer investors in that space, again, harder to find someone that's willing to back your project. So they're the sectors that we tend to sort of focus on in addition to residential and commercial. Yeah, Brian. Well, again, Nick, uh, really appreciate you sharing that with us today. Thank you very much. Okay, so if you're a property developer and you're seeking a broad range of funding options from anywhere between 5 mil up to 200 mil or more, then reach out to the team at Jamison Capital. More shortly here on Realty Tour. Welcome. I had a call from Money Magazine this week who asked me why, in the midst of the COVID carnage, is property still booming? So here's my thoughts. Since early 2020, we've been buried in a continuous deluge of 24-7 newsreels, painting gloom and doom for industries and individuals. The constant threat of reactive rolling lockdowns is seeing over 60% of Aussies confined to their homes and with international borders closed indefinitely, population growth has ground to an absolute halt. Yet despite this negative backdrop, house prices continue to boom. According to the latest CoreLogic figures, dwelling values have soared nationally by an average of over 14% over the last seven months, with strong price rises occurring in 94% of regions right across the country. Now you may be thinking, this just doesn't make sense. So to understand why, we need to see residential property as being a bit like a grass fire, where the three things that are required to burn to create spontaneous combustion are fuel, heat, and oxygen. Now, the fuel is the number of properties for sale, the heat is the level of demand, and the oxygen is the money supply. And despite expectations to the contrary, COVID hasn't been a killer, it's actually been a catalyst. It's added petrol to the property fire instead of water, generating heat and adding oxygen. So our property inferno comes down to just two words, scarcity and spend. Scarcity has been created by limited properties for sale and pent up and growing demand. For the six months or more after COVID hit, house values looked like that large pile of freshly cut grass. Nothing appeared to be happening and property prices held their ground as very few homeowners were able to sell due to the lockdown restrictions. But under the surface, the heat was building from pent up buyer demand. Buyers were quarantined at home with nothing to spend their money on and they've been seeking more lifestyle, safety and space to escape the COVID threat. And the oxygen that ignited the house fire is the increase in spend 
with billions of government stimulus money, property incentive programs, and the lowest interest rate records in history. Now, money has never been more plentiful and it's never been cheaper to borrow. And property has always been a game of finance. Once the lockdown subsided at the end of 2020 and frustrated buyers were able to purchase homes, a property firestorm has erupted like releasing a compressed spring. At very low rates, this means that it's cheaper to buy a home than to rent. So lots of tenants and adult children that have still been living at home with their parents, armed with thousands of dollars in incentive programs, have flooded the market. And many others are taking advantage of the cheap money to upsize, downsize, tree change and sea change, to improve lifestyle and to get more space and that sense of safety and security. But it hasn't stopped there. The raging house fire has been further fanned by media coverage of the boom, bringing on the fear of missing out or FOMO. More Australians have been fighting for their piece of action, making the headlines predicting price rises become self-fulfilling prophecies. And we're not likely to see an end to this anytime soon. Scarcity is not easily solved, but spend may be slowed when the government, the Reserve Bank and the banks reduce the oxygen supply by tightening lending policy or increasing interest rates, which are unlikely to be happening anytime soon. In the meantime, sellers can continue to cash in on this rare opportunity, while buyers may have to boost their budgets or bide their time. If you want to check out the full article, have a read of the Money Magazine. That's food for thought. I'm Bushy Martin from Know How Property Finance. Stay tuned for more. Well, that's a wrap on this week's show. A special thanks to our guests, Scott O'Neill, Terry Ryder and Nick Brown. And a reminder that you can see all of our shows at realty.com.au, along with one of Australia's most extensive range of properties for sale from over 7,000 agencies nationally. Thanks to realty.com and BMT Tax Depreciation for their ongoing support. I'm Bushy Martin, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Miss something in this week's show or want to catch up on past shows? Do it anytime at realty.com.au where we connect buyers, sellers and agents differently. 